Are the heat and humidity getting to you? The suppressive weather affects people in different ways. August Heat Wave is this month's Thrilling Tales podcast theme with two stories focusing on characters' extreme reactions. This is Lois Cianel, your storyteller. Our first story, Death by Scrabble by Charlie Fish, turns an innocent board game into a life and death struggle between a husband and wife. In August Heat by W.F. Harvey, a workaday artist's inspiration becomes prophetic. And now, Death by Scrabble. It's a hot day, and I hate my wife. We're playing Scrabble. That's how bad it is. I'm 42 years old. It's a blistering hot Sunday afternoon, and all I can think of to do with my life is to play Scrabble. I should be out, doing exercise, spending money, meeting people. I don't think I've spoken to anyone except my wife since Thursday morning. On Thursday morning, I spoke to the milkman. My letters are crap. I play appropriately B-E-G-I-N, begin, with the N on the little pink star, 22 points. I watch my wife's smug expression as she rearranges her letters, clack, clack, clack. I hate her. If she wasn't around, I'd be doing something interesting right now. I'd be climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. I'd be starring in the latest Hollywood blockbuster. I'd be sailing the Vendee Globe on a 60-foot clipper called the New Horizons. I I don't know, but but I'd be doing something. She plays J-I-N-X-E-D, jinxed, with the J on a double letter score. 30 points. She's beating me already. Maybe I should kill her. If only I had a D, then I could play M-U-R-D-E-R. That would be a sign. That would be permission. I start chewing on my U. It's a bad habit, I know. All the letters are frayed. I play W-A-R-M-E-R, warmer, for 22 points, mainly so I can keep chewing on my U. As I'm picking new letters from the bag, I find myself thinking, the letters will tell me what to do. If they spell out K-I-L-L or S-T-A-B or her name or anything, I'll do it right now. I'll finish her off. My rack spells M-I-H-Z-P-A plus the U in my mouth. Damn. No good. The heat of the sun is pushing at me through the window. I can hear buzzing insects outside. I hope they're not bees. My cousin Harold swallowed a bee when he was nine. His throat swelled up and he died. I hope if they are bees, they fly into my wife's throat. She plays S-W-E-A-T-I-E-R, sweatier, using all of her letters, 24 points plus a 50-point bonus. If it wasn't too hot to move, I would strangle her right now. I am getting sweatier. It needs to rain to clear the air. As soon as that thought crosses my mind, I find a good word. H-U-M-I-D, humid, on a double word score, using the D of jinxed. The U makes a little splash of saliva when I put it down. Another 22 points. I hope she has lousy letters. She tells me she has lousy letters. For some reason, I hate her more. She plays F-A-N, fan, with the F on the double letter and gets up to fill the kettle and turn on the air conditioning. It's the hottest day for 10 years and my wife is turning on the kettle. This is why I hate my wife. I play Z-A-P-S, zaps, with the Z doubled and she gets a static shock off the air conditioning unit. I find this remarkably satisfying. 
She sits back down with a heavy sigh and starts fiddling with her letters again. Clack, 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 clack. I feel a terrible rage build up inside me. Some inner poison slowly spreads through my limbs. And when it gets to my fingertips, I'm going to jump out of my chair, spilling the scrabble tiles over the floor, and I'm going to start hitting her again and again and again. The rage gets to my fingertips and passes. My heart is beating. I'm sweating. I think my face actually twitches. Then I sigh deeply and sit back into my chair. The kettle starts whistling. As the whistle builds, it makes me feel hotter. She plays R-E-A-D-Y, ready, on a double word for 18 points, then goes to pour herself a cup of tea. No, I do not want one. I steal a blank tile from the letter bag when she's not looking and throw back a V from my rack. She gives me a suspicious look. She sits back down with her cup of tea, making a cup ring on the table as I play an eight-letter word, C-H-E-A-T-I-N-G, using the A of ready. 64 points, including the 50-point bonus, which means I'm beating her now. She asks me if I cheated. I really, really hate her. She plays I-G-N-O-R-E on the triple word for 21 points. The score is 153 to her, 155 to me. The steam rising from her cup of tea makes me feel hotter. I try to make murderous words with the letters on my rack, but the best I can do is S-L-E-E-P, sleep. My wife sleeps all the time. She slept through an argument our next door neighbors had that resulted in a broken door, a smashed TV, and a Teletubby Lala doll with all the stuffing coming out. And then she bitched at me for being moody the next day from lack of sleep. If only there was some way for me to get rid of her. I spot a chance to use all of my letters. Explodes using the X of jinxed 72 points. That'll show her. As I put the last letter down, there is a deafening bang and the air conditioning unit fails. My heart is racing, but not from the shock of the bang. I don't believe it, but it can't be a coincidence. The letters made it happen. I played the word explodes and it happened. The air conditioning unit exploded. And before I played the word cheating when I cheated and zap when my wife got the electric shock. Words are coming true. The letters are choosing their future. The whole game is jinxed. My wife plays S-I-G-N, sign, with the N on triple letter for 10 points. I have to test this. I have to play something and see if it happens. Something unlikely to prove that the letters are making it happen. My rack has A-B-Q-Y-F-W-E. That doesn't leave me with a lot of options. I start frantically chewing on the B. I play F-L-Y, fly, using the L of explodes. I sit back in my chair and close my eyes, waiting for the sensation of rising up from the chair, waiting to fly. Stupid. I open my eyes, and there's a fly, an insect, buzzing around above the scrabble board, surfing the thermals from the tepid cup of tea. Oh, that proves nothing. The fly could have been there anyway. I need to play something unambiguous, something that cannot be misinterpreted, something absolute and final, something terminal, something murderous. My wife plays C-A-U-T-I-O-N, caution, using a blank tile for the N, 18 points. 
My rack is A-Q-W-E-U-K, plus the B in my mouth. I am awed by the power of the letters and frustrated that I cannot wield it. Maybe I should cheat again and pick out the letters I need to spell slash or slay. Then it hits me, the perfect word, a powerful, dangerous, terrible word. I play Q-U-A-K-E, quake, for 19 points. I wonder if the strength of the quake will be proportionate to how many points it scored. I can feel the trembling energy of potential in my veins. I am commanding fate. I am manipulating destiny. My wife plays D-E-A-T-H for 34 points, just as the room starts to shake. Death. I gasp with surprise and vindication, and the bee that I was chewing on gets lodged in my throat. I try to cough. My face goes red, then blue. My throat swells. I draw blood clawing up my neck. The earthquake builds to a climax. I fall to the floor. My wife just sits there, watching. And that is Death by Scrabble. We now turn to a much older story, August Heat. Let's see how the heat affects the characters of this short story. I have had what I believe to be the most remarkable day in my life. And while the events are still fresh in my mind, I wish to put them down on paper as clearly as possible. Let me say at the outset that my my name is James Clarence Withencroft. I am 40 years old, in perfect health, never having known a day's illness. By profession, I am an artist, but not a very successful one. But I earn enough money by my black and white work to satisfy my necessary wants. My only near relative, a sister, died five years ago, so I am independent. I breakfasted this morning at nine, and after glancing through the morning paper, I lighted my pipe and proceeded to let my mind wander in the hope that I might chance upon some subject for my pencil. The room, though doors and windows were open, was oppressively hot and I had just made up my mind that the coolest and most comfortable place in the neighborhood would be the deep end of the public swimming bath. When the idea came, I began to draw. So intent was I on my work that I left my lunch untouched, only stopping work when the clock at St. Jude's struck four. The final result for a hurried sketch was I felt sure the best thing I had done. It showed a criminal in the dock immediately after the judge had pronounced sentence. The man was fat, enormously fat. The flesh hung in rolls about his chin. It creased his huge, stumpy neck. He was clean-shaven, perhaps I should say a few days before he must have been clean-shaven, and almost bald. He stood in the dock, his short, clumsy fingers clasping the rail, looking straight in front of him. The feeling that his expression conveyed was not so much one of horror as of utter, absolute collapse. There seemed nothing in the man strong enough to sustain the mountain of flesh. I rolled up the sketch and, without quite knowing why, placed it in my pocket. Then, with the rare sense of happiness which the knowledge of a good thing well done gives, I left the house. I believe that I set out with the idea of calling upon Trenton, for I remember walking along Lytton Street and turning to the right along Gilcrest Road at the bottom of the hill, where the men were at work on the new tram lines. From there onwards, I have only the vaguest recollection of where I went. The one thing of which I was fully conscious was the awful heat that came up from the dusty asphalt pavement as almost a palpable wave. 
I long for the thunder promised by the great banks of copper-colored clouds that hung low over the western sky. I must have walked five or six miles when a small boy roused me from my reverie by asking the time. It was 20 minutes to seven. When he left me, I began to take stock of my bearings. I found myself standing before a gate that led into a yard bordered by a strip of thirsty earth, where there were flowers, purple stock, and scarlet geranium. Above the entrance was a board with the inscription, Charles Atkinson, Monumental Mason, Worker in English and Italian Marbles. From the yard itself came a cheery whistle, the noise of hammer blows and the cold sound of steel meeting stone. A sudden impulse made me enter. A man was sitting with his back toward me, busy at work on a slab of curiously veined marble. He turned round as he heard my steps, and I stopped short. It was the man I had been drawing, whose portrait lay in my pocket. He sat there, huge and elephantine, the sweat pouring from his scalp, which he wiped with a red silk handkerchief. But though the face was the same, the expression was absolutely different. He greeted me smiling as if we were old friends and shook my hand. I apologized for my intrusion. Everything is hot and glary outside, I said. This seems an oasis in the wilderness. I don't know about the oasis, he replied, but it's certainly hot. As hot as hell. Take a seat, sir. He pointed to the end of the gravestone on which he was at work, and I sat down. That's a beautiful piece of stone you've got hold of, I said. He shook his head. In a way it is, he answered. The surface here is as fine as anything you could wish. But there's a big flaw at the back, though I don't expect you'd ever notice it. I could never make really a good job of a bit of marble like that. It would be all right in the summer like this. I wouldn't mind the blasted heat. But wait till the winter comes. There's nothing quite like frost to find the weak spots in stone. Then what's it for, I asked. The man burst out laughing. You'd hardly believe me if I was to tell you it's for an exhibition, but it's the truth. Artists have exhibitions, so do grocers and butchers. We have them too, all the latest little things and headstones, you know. He went on to talk of marbles, which sure best withstood wind and rain and which were easiest to work, and then of his garden in a new sort of carnation he had bought. At the end of every other minute, he would drop his tools, wipe his shining head, and curse the heat. I said little, for I felt uneasy. There was something unnatural, uncanny in meeting this man. I tried at first to persuade myself that I had seen him before, that his face, unknown to me, had found a place in some out-of-the-way corner of my memory. But I knew that I was practicing little more than a plausible piece of self-deception. Mr. Atkinson finished his work, spat on the ground, and got up with a sigh of relief. There, what do you think of that, he said, with an air of evident pride. The inscription which I read for the first time was this. Sacred to the memory of James Clarence Withencroft, born January 18, 1860. He passed away very suddenly on August 20th, 19 For some time, I sat in silence. Then a cold shudder ran down my spine. I asked him where he had seen that name. Oh, I didn't see it anywhere, replied Mr. Atkinson. I wanted some name, and I put down the first thing that came into my head. Why do you want to know? It's a strange coincidence, but it happens to be mine. He gave a long, low whistle. And the dates? I can only answer for one of them, the birth, and that's correct. It's a rum go, he said. 
but he knew less than I did. I told him of my morning's work. I took the sketch from my pocket and showed it to him. As he looked, the expression of his face altered until it became more and more like the man that I had drawn. And it was only the day before yesterday, he said, that I told Maria there were no such thing as ghosts. Neither of us had seen a ghost, but I knew what he meant. You probably heard my name, I said, and you must have seen me somewhere and forgotten it. Were you at Clacton-on-Sea last July? I had never been to Clacton in my life. We were silent for some time. We were both looking at the same thing, the two dates on the gravestone, and one was right. Come inside and have some supper, said Mr. Atkinson. His wife is a cheerful little woman with the flaky red cheeks of the country bread. Her husband introduced me as a friend of his who was an artist. The result was unfortunate, for after the sardines and watercress had been removed, she brought out a doré Bible, and I had to sit and express my admiration for nearly half an hour. I went outside and found Atkinson sitting on the gravestone smoking. We resumed the conversation at the point we had left off. You must excuse my asking, I said, but do you know of anything you've done for which you could be put on trial? He shook his head. I'm not bankrupt. The business is prosperous enough. Three years ago, I gave turkeys to some of the guardians at Christmas, but that's all I can think of. And they were small ones, too, he added. He got up, fetched a can from the porch, and began to water the flowers. Twice a day, regular in the hot weather, he said, and then the heat sometimes gets the better of the delicate ones. And ferns, good Lord, they could never stand it. Where do you live? I told him my address. It would take an hour's quick walk to get back home. It's like this, he said. We'll look at the matter straight. If you go back home tonight, you take your chance of accidents. A car may run you over, and there's always banana skins and orange peels to say nothing of fallen ladders. He spoke of the improbable with intense seriousness that would have been laughable six hours before, but I did not laugh. The best thing we can do, he continued, is for you to stay here till 12 o'clock. We'll go upstairs and smoke. It may be cooler inside. To my surprise, I agreed. We are sitting now in a long, low room beneath the eaves. Atkinson has sent his wife to bed. He himself is busy sharpening some tools at a little oil stone, smoking one of my cigars all the while. The air seems charged with thunder. I am writing this at a shaky table before the open window. The leg is cracked, and Atkinson, who seems a handyman with his tools, is going to mend it as soon as he has finished putting an edge on the chisel. It is after 11 now. I shall be gone in less than an hour. But the heat is stifling. It is enough to send a man mad.